Nobody wants to end up in family court, but if you do, you want an honest, experienced family law attorney by your side to help minimize the stress, mental anguish, and legal costs that divorce and custody matters bring. Welcome to In Your Best Interest. Texas divorce attorney and entrepreneur Justin Sizemore of the Sizemore Law Firm, entrepreneur Andrea Jones, freelance writer Mary Maloney and guests share insight on what to expect and how to handle family law matters, the changing landscape of family law, and living the entrepreneur's life. Now, on to the show. When going through a divorce or separation, many parents lose sight of their children's needs. In this episode of In Your Best Interest, Justin Sizemore, Andrea Jones, and Mary Maloney discuss the importance of healthy co-parenting and what that actually means. They will highlight where some parents go wrong, how poor co-parenting affects children, and steps to take to make co-parenting more amicable when parents don't get along. Hi, I'm Mary Maloney. And Justin, I'd like to hop in with this first question. You know, we think that parents are all going to put their children first, but we know that that's really not always the case, especially when parents don't get along. How do you see that playing out in your practice on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so great question. Justin Sizemore here. So first of all, good morning, Mary and Andrea. Uh, And thank you all for being here. So when we talk about co-parenting, I think it's one of the most important things that any professional, both in the family law practice and also in the professional counseling practices deal with, because mainly about 55% of people are going through this process. And we've talked about this before in the first episode, but uh, co-parenting in situations where you have two parents living in separate households, they have to be trained on how they actually interact, how they work with each other in a separate environment. It's a totally new set of rules. You've got step parents, third parties involved, family members, and everyone has an opinion. Everyone wants to chime in their opinion. So at the end of the day, it's really healthy in my opinion. I don't care how nasty the divorce was or what the circumstances were. It's really healthy to get with a third-party counselor and sit down and kind of look at the ground rules. These are our non-negotiables. These are the things we agree on. These are the things that we disagree on. Um, and, and, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a fight. I think it's important to lay out those ground rules at the beginning uh, to say, all right, this is how I'd like to deal with activities. This is how I would like to deal with a possession schedule in the event that there's a conflict or there's some kind of family event that comes up. And just be thinking about the things that potentially could arise. You're not going to get them all right in the beginning. But what I see a lot of people do in these co-parenting situations or lack thereof is just not have a roadmap. They don't know where they're going. They don't try to make any effort whatsoever to lay out a plan. And it's just like a business plan. You would lay out a business plan if you're going to go spend money on a company or anything else. And so why not have counseling and people in place when you reach an impasse? Why not have a roadmap? on what you do with the the impasse points. But co-parenting, a long-winded way of saying, is is most effectively done when you have two parties that are willing to participate. When you have one parent that shuts down, uh, belittling the other parent, thinking they're always right, you can't always change those personality types. Um, And so, you know, I'm not going to pretend that we can all kumbaya in the room when you hate each other. Right. And, and, and I hate, I hate to use the word hate, but some people in, in my business hate each other. So it's not always a kumbaya approach. And so if you can lay out rules and just think of this, we are expensive, right? Attorneys are expensive. And if you don't want to come see me and believe me, I don't want you to come see me if, because I want the world to be a better place. I want people to co-parent. I want people to cooperate because I, I suffered this myself as a kid. My parents were split up 
crazy environment, all that stuff. It's not okay. It's not okay to this day when parents belittle the, each other. I'm 41 years old and my parents still jack with each other. And that's not all right. Um, and it does affect you. It affects how you want your grandkids to be around, how you, whether you want your parents to come to weddings, to hospital scenarios, because you don't want that stress in your life. And so take the family law card out of this for a minute and just be a decent human. And I have clients say to me all the time, well, you know, he's doing this or she's doing this. And it's like my five-year-old says the same thing, by the way, and, and they'll do it right back to each other. I'm like, so does that give you the, the right or the position to do that back to them? And, and what happens in this nasty world that we sometimes live in is people don't think about anything but their position sometimes. And I, I think if you can bury yourself and be a little bit more submissive in that scenario, you, you'll find that, A, you're going to make a better witness if you come to a family court setting. So even if you're faking it, uh, you get you get your win if you need that. And so I just think it's important to understand the outcomes of a child and what happens from a mental health perspective when you do not co-parent. And it is a very tough scenario. I have a sibling of mine uh, that was raised very similarly to me, and she's just struggled with drugs and depression and alcohol or her, you know, and sometimes you get lucky in those co-parenting situations when you don't have co-parenting, but it's a real lucky factor. So Justin, I think a good follow-up to that too is the fact that you have often talked about the fact that it's really important um, to for children to have both parents play a significant role in their lives. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important and then also address how restricting access to another parent can be harmful to the child also? Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't want to state the obvious here, but the dynamic between two parents is very different, right? And I, I don't want to get into whether a man or a woman does this better or two women or two men do it better. I, you know, at the end of the day, the idea of the most people loving children is the healthiest thing in the world. You talk to any counselor, they'll tell you, you know, it builds their confidence levels at early stages. It creates scenarios where uh, there's a consistent discipline factor across two different perspectives. You know, think about a child for a second. You know, they, I always use the analogy, children are like water. They find a crab between two parents, that water creates a wedge. And then, you know, your little five-year-old sweetheart becomes 14 and 15. And now the two parents hate each other. They don't communicate. And that 14-year-old is driving the boat. Okay. So how you start the co-parenting relationship, if it's an early age, is indicative of how you're going to finish it by the age of 18. And by the way, you're never finished. We all know that. So when you have two parents that are equally participative and on the same page, what you find is that children are not a, just like running a business, right? If you've got managers that don't communicate and they don't communicate with their staff and their employees, you know, the, the hens run wild, right? And so, you know, same thing with children, the discipline part of it is part of it for sure. With respect to their schooling and education, you know, I see parents fight about the right to make educational decisions, medical decisions, and the residents more than really any other issues that you come into in family law. And medical is the other thing. And, you know, the idea that two parents don't want their child to be healthy is just asinine to me right? But nowadays we have so many different disagreements that come about, whether it be vaccinations or religious beliefs or just whatever pops into someone's mind in that day. And so, you know, a united front for the child's sake, the child knows that they don't get to run the roost. I think I answered part of your question. I just want to kind of go back to the second part of that. Um, I want to touch on that a little bit as well. 
Yeah. And that's where we're talking about when you restrict access of the other parent yeah. to the child, that's also harmful. Yeah, no. So the, the restriction of access, you know, and especially with COVID, we saw a lot of it. We saw a lot of scenarios where parents would say, well, they, this parent doesn't believe in masks or this parent believes in X, Y, and Z. So we saw a lot of restricted access and the Supreme court actually came out and mandated a scenario where they just said, look, you've got to follow the order. You know, it, it, it wasn't exactly like something that you just go, oh my gosh, what a great opinion that you wrote Supreme court. They just said, follow the orders, maintain the course. And the, and the courts have followed that. And so what was happening, you know, I think what was eye-opening there is people will find an excuse to not have their child around the other parent that they don't like, okay? And, and in that scenario, you have all kinds of problems from an enforcement standpoint, from a custody standpoint, uh, where you lose custody, you may be ordered to place a bond up uh, with the court that could be tens of thousands of dollars to be able to access your child. Uh, in the event that you uh, don't follow a court order. And so from a legal perspective, that's the that's part of it. But then you get into the other side of the coin uh, where it's just the visitation and access component. And you know, you think one day, well, I've got this doctor's appointment or something that's really important. And so the dad's visitation can take a back seat for that, or the mom's visitation can take a back seat for that. Consistency across the board in co-parenting and schedules are critical. You have to know what time they need to be at school, what time they need to be at the other parents' houses and all that. And I'm not suggesting that you can't deviate from that schedule, but when you get into a position where one parent is pirating the time of the child and, and basically holding withholding possession, you get into parental alienation issues, number one, uh, which definitely significantly impact the child's emotional health, safety, and welfare. Uh, and then further than that, you get into a position where you're going to have legal ramifications. And then the child actually doesn't know what to do. They're, they're just lost because they feel like there's these rules in place. One parent's telling them, hey, this is the time. The other parent's saying, no, you don't have to go. It's no big deal. Or you can do what you want to do, honey. I tried a case yesterday and they were, you, you know, you're 13, but you just, you do what you want to do. Well, what happens when that child picks up a bong? Okay. Are we going to be just, you can do what you want to do, honey. And that's the way the courts look at it. So set some rules, calm down, follow them. If there are issues, bring them to an attorney's attention, bring them to the party's attention first and do it in a way that is not adversarial. Just state the facts. Hey, on this day, you know, my son, or our son said this uh, or that, and I, I just wanted to get your perspective. I'm not taking his side or her side. I just wanted to get your perspective and, and get that information out so that you don't get to this point to where now all of a sudden the child's coming over and say, daddy or mommy, you know, was abusive to me or harmful to me. Well, how? Well, they took away my phone and they were screaming at me and I was just so scared, mom. And then all of a sudden you go, all right, well, listen, you're not going over there tomorrow. You're not going to follow the court order. And, and you're, you're, you may have a legitimate concern there. And I'm not suggesting if there aren't legitimate concerns, don't bring those to light. But there's also times when kids just don't want to do something, right? And so it's important to be able to communicate with the other party and or a third party before you just stop the visitation for the reasons I've listed. All right. And Andrea, I think this is a great place for you to jump in too, because you know from firsthand experience going through a divorce and custody issues and actually working closely with Justin on that. Could you kind of weigh in from your perspective, how that happened in a real life situation? Yeah. Hi, this is Andrea Jones. Yeah. So I went through a very nasty over um, 15 years ago and Justin was my attorney back then. And, and we had the worst case scenario in co-parenting because there was no co-parenting. And for me, when you go into divorce, 
there's so there are so many emotions and you are so torn apart and it's easy to forget about the kids because of course your own emotions your own situation is what you think about first and you can easily forget the kids and the kids it should be the first thing you think about because they're so easily impacted and my kids my youngest my twins were like i think 18 months back then when it started my oldest was 12 so there's a lot of there's a lot of or there were a lot of situations that were not good where they what justin stated earlier that plan to make there would have been no way to sit down with my ex-husband to make a plan with the kids there was no way to even communicate with him so he had to kind of go with the flow but one thing I learned over time and I made many mistakes and this podcast might help others not to make those mistakes it's easy to get drawn into the bad situation and the other parent constantly talking trash about you and then you feel you have to defend yourself and that's not something that you should be doing you just some counselor told me many years ago keep your side of the street clean means meaning I take care of my kids the best I can I don't even worry about the other parent what the other parent is saying or doing I do my best job with the kids and that's all you can do like Justin said you can't impact what they say what they do you just have to worry about yourself and if you in doing that the kids are so smart and yes the kids will find a way they will play parents against each other and if you stand your ground they'll learn pretty fast that that's not happening and kids are very smart they figure that out and no matter what age they are they figure it out Get yeah, on that clean. Sorry, on that clean hands that you said, or, or, or the clean side of the street, that is so critical too. And I, I think Mary, you know, a lot of people don't understand the fact when you come into a divorce case or a custody case, and you think I can't tell you how many pieces of evidence that a client brings in where they are videotaping the mother screaming at the child, and they're just going, "That's not good. Why are you doing that?" But and, and then and then they keep prodding and prodding and prodding. I think that evidence is going to be really helpful. And the child's four years old. The court goes, why, sir, didn't, instead of sitting there watching this, gathering evidence so that you can win your case, why didn't you pick up your child and take the child out of the room? Right? Step in, yeah. Step in. So these these clean street things are common sense most of the I mean, 90% of my uh, job is talking people off the ledge in a respectful manner, but I'm also got to be firm with people. And, and I can tell you right now, Andrea knows people don't like to hear what they don't want to hear. Right. And sometimes the tough love from the attorney's perspective or the counselor's perspective is identifying that you've got issues. And Andrea does a great job of, and always has of kind of going, and she's tough as nails, by the way. So keep in mind, it's not easy for type A, you know, really strong business people to just admit when they have flaws in most scenarios. But she's done a really good job of over the years adapting in a really tough scenario. Okay. And you heard her say that. And I think that's critical for you to understand that you could not possibly have a worse fact pattern in many situations than she had and she went through. And I'm so thankful that she's here to share that, those experiences with these people and these, these listeners, but you couldn't have had a more tough situation of somebody that, you know, and I, I don't want to get into all the details, but did many things that you would possibly think are the worst in a family law scenario. And for her to be able to lift her head up and get through this and raise awesome, awesome children. I mean, awesome. And I'm not just saying that I mean, her daughter is freaking top of her class, at, you know, in, in, in law school in, in California, and she is amazing. And you don't get there without really two parents. And I think Andrea can even admit as much as she, you know, and believe me, I wanted to shoot that guy too sometimes, but there is a scenario where you wake up and you say, you know what? I don't know what he did at the house or I did at the house, but we've got a daughter that is a rock star. 
Yeah, you and, you, and you bring in there, and, and I think many forget too, and I forgot this many times back then, there was a time where you loved each other and you put those kids in this world. And kids identify with both parents. And no matter how much you despise the other parent, it's still 50% of the kid and the kid doesn't understand. I mean, look at abused kids. They always go back to the parent, no matter what. I've seen kids have been left out in the backyard by their mother because the mother was drunk or whatever. And the kid still loves the mother. The love a child has for a parent is never going to stop. It's unconditional. And anything you say or do to try to stop that or interfere is impacting the kid in a serious way. And you just shouldn't be doing that. So you just got to grab your own nose. And again, like I said, I made mistakes, but learned over the years. I do my thing. I take care of my kids and the kid's going to be fine. And the stronger, and it's not easy, but the stronger the kids see you handle a situation. And I have cried in front of my kids. There's nothing wrong with that. You are not a, you're not a, whatever, a machine. And, and if you have emotions, there's nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. But again, you don't talk bad about the other parent. You let the other parent do, and then you have to be smart in your answers, not, oh, daddy didn't feed you or daddy fed you McDonald's. That's not good for you. That's not my place to share. That's his house, his rules, whatever he does. I'll do my things at my house. And again, and the kids have enough to handle anyway, two houses, two rules, potential step-parents, coming in that have other rules. It's hard enough for a kid to navigate that situation. And, and you just need to be a support for your kid. And again, have unconditional love for your kid and, and guide them the right way. And they turn out hopefully the right way in the long run. And that kind of just takes us into our next question too. And that's about healthy co-parenting and what that looks like. And you both have a perspective on that, that uh, you know, from a legal perspective, Justin, you know, what do you talk to your clients about when you're, you're talking to them about, you know, these are steps that you can take and to be a good co-parent and different tactics that they can use to, for healthy co-parenting. Yeah. I want to be clear here, Mary too, because I'm a very glass half full type person and in all walks of life. Okay. And so, you know, I know that there are circumstances and there are listeners here that may have extreme circumstances, family violence, alcohol, drug abuse. And when I sit here and say, well, just write out your seven steps and you're, you sit there across the room. Some people may go in, look, dude, you don't get this. You don't understand my circumstances. Okay. I've done thousands of cases. So believe me, I've heard every single fact pattern that is possible in my opinion on the planet. So I'm, I'm speaking to all people when I'm talking about the idea or the ideal notion of co-parenting, okay? But I do understand that there are extraordinary circumstances where you have to have counselors and many, many people involved. CPS gets involved uh, and it gets extraordinary. And that is a different, totally different strategic direction that we take. But you still have to have the mindset that people can heal, people can change, we can co-parent. Because at the end of the day, if that parent, is that bad and many there are many many bad people out there okay and there's many good ones but if the parent is that bad you have to understand that your child needs more injection of healthy relationships more injection of counseling more injection of understanding fundamentally what's going on here to cause this because half of your child is made up of the dna of that person 
Okay. And, you know, when it's things like we can't get along and we're fighting, we're just arguing and his step, the, the, his wife is getting in the way and she's calling and she's the only one calling the shots and he doesn't care. He doesn't show up on time. She doesn't do this, that Th those are scenarios we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that's the, the strategic direction. I want to take this right now from a legal standpoint, because that's 90% of what we deal with. People make a lot of allegations. Okay. In a family court setting, what I tell everyone is this, we may know the facts. We may know that that person is terrible. We may know they're a drunk. We may know that they're abusive. We may know that they're a narcissist and the other five words that I get basically every, on every phone call. The problem is, is that you can't just walk into court and say, he's a narcissist. She is, you know, an alienator. You can't just do those things. And I think a lot of clients, you know, they, they kind of jump to the end of the book without explaining the chapters in the book, right? You got to develop the characters as a writer, I think, Mary, and you do a good job of that. But you got to develop these people and you've got to develop a story and the facts and you have to have the evidence to back it up. Not only do you have to have the evidence, it has to be an admissible form. So what are we talking about here? You've got to have pictures, the pictures have to be taken by the person that takes the picture when you authenticate it or you make it evidentiary in a courtroom. Uh, you can't just go pull something off somebody's Facebook thread and, and all these things. So, you know, the planning stage of this is not to mount an attack to dominate the other parent. And I think when I get the call from the client, hey, I heard you're the most aggressive attorney in Texas. And I, oh, I, I got this award. You're the most feared lawyer, whatever it is. I mean, lawyers that beat their chest and love that those accolades, we, we dominate in the courtroom because they don't get prepared. They think they're going to walk in and scream and yell and jump on their little stand. And that's going to matter. And some clients love that. Honestly, they just, they just want the fight. They need the fight. It's part of getting their pound of flesh. And I can assure you that if you really step back and you peel that onion layer back, what you're going to find is those parents are very frustrated deep down. They've got some big walls up that need to be broken down and so they can get through some of this stuff. And more importantly, I can almost guarantee that in some way, shape or form, their children are struggling deeply. So from a court perspective and a co-parenting perspective, they are trying to get the wheels back on the ship or on the bus. They're trying to make two parties understand that two parents were made this child and they need to both be involved. And, you know, at the end of the day in Texas, you know, we've got. 48% of the time is called an expanded standard schedule. So I get people all the time, well, I want 50-50. Well, that's fine. And I know why you want it. And I'm not here to argue the child support laws today. But a lot of times it has to do with, you know, one parent being the dominatrix or domineer of the other parent with respect to decision making. The courts are going to get very involved if two parents keep fighting. They're going to do things like that you never even thought about. They're going to put amicus attorneys in there. You're now paying three attorneys. They're going to uh, set up counseling sessions where you have to go during the weekdays to co-parenting classes and listen to how terrible of a person you are. They will do everything to make make it as painful as possible so you don't come back and waste the person in the black robe's time. So it is not a place, uh, in my opinion, where you're getting, you know, necessarily the kumbaya approach. And you've got to have a strong strategy and a, a team of attorneys behind you to really help you through that because the navigation part is done behind the scenes for the most part. And I think the, the important thing is to what you said is the, the evidence, because if you really look at the stuff, And, and you shared that with me back then when we went through that, you have to have evidence. And when you take yourself out of the occasion and then look at the stuff, what evidence is there really when I take myself out of it? I might not like what, like I said earlier, what he feeds the kids, 
but is the kid going to die from what he feeds them? No, he's not. So is that really a reason to go back to court because he feeds the kid McDonald's and I want them to eat healthy food? So once you try to put the evidence together, then all of a sudden the stuff that you're actually fighting about isn't even that important. I mean, it's, it's really stuff that you might not like, but it's not impacting the kids in any kind of way. And, and, and what I learned over the years, the judges care about the kids, not so much about the parents, especially in a divorce situation, right? They don't really care how you as a parent feel you're grown up. So deal with it. Um, and or if you can't, then get some help. But what the courts really worry about is what is the best scenario for the kid? And my personal opinion as a mother or personal opinion of a dad really doesn't matter. So we just have to get along. Yeah. We fight about oftentimes it's not even worth fighting about. I mean, seriously, when you look, when I look back at myself, that stuff, like, why did I get so worked up about certain things? Not even important in the great scheme of things. It's interesting perspective, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, you, and to that point, think about what these judges are hearing all day. Okay. Most of my clients, most are very, what I call G rated. Okay. And they fight and they drink and they do drugs and they, and I are still what I call G rated. Okay. Uh, and the reason that's important for you to hear is the judge's perspective. Think about Andrea, what she just said. Her perspective is the things I used to get worked up about. I'm just like, why did I even, you know, it's like you just grow, you mature, you materialize and you learn that, you know, some things are more important when you wake up in the morning than being stressed about, you know, someone not calling on time or whatever it is. But think about that perspective for, for a minute. You're a judge and you hear 20 something cases a day. Half of them have extreme facts, family violence, da, 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 da. And you come in and to Andrea's point, and I had this case, all he does is takes our kid to McDonald's. I want a modification. I want to be in control of feeding the child. And the judge is sitting there going, what? Okay. So, I mean, you got to be, you got to be real strategic in this. And that's why we, we talk about, we'll talk about modifications and all the different legal provisions later on in, in, in segments and go through the details of those. But I want, I want parents to get a 50,000 foot view about how to be good and decent humans, at least keeping their side of the street, like Andrea said, clean so that they can make at least their half of the contribution to the child and this world a better place. And the kids, kids are smart. I mean, kids are very, very smart. When I look at my kids, they don't even go to the other house much. And they have done it for years because kids figure out who's actually doing the good job, who is no, not glorifying myself, not saying that. I'm just saying kids know who takes care of them. Kids know where they have boundaries, right? Our house has boundaries. There's, there's, there's rules. There's a chore book. There are things like that. And then if the other parent is the weekend dad, then where the kids can do whatever, kids need rules and they fight them all the way. And I have teenagers now, they fight rules all the time, but they do need rules. And, and the stronger you put your foot down, the more they, they gravitate to that place where there's rules and there's a structure and everything else. And so kids are very smart. Over time, you might not see it today, and, and going to divorce is this black tunnel where there is light on the other side and you come out better and stronger, hopefully on the other side. I did. Um, but, but going through it is scary. And I had somebody on the phone yesterday that was crying the entire time. She's from Europe. She's here. The husband is, is telling her all kinds of stuff, what's going to happen here in the States. And she's so worried and so scared and cried the entire time. And I could relate to her and talk to her because I've been there, done that. It is scary. But again, focus on the kids, focus on their future, what they need. And, 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 and again, you have a huge impact on your kids and the, the better you are, the less you talk trash or less you make those weird statements about the other party, the better for the kids and the stronger the kids come out because they have their entire life in front of it, in front of them. And like Justin said, there are so many long-term effects that, that bad parenting or bad co-parenting has on those kids. Folks, this is Patrice Sikor here. I'm going to jump in for just a second before we 
wrap up and figure out how people can get to uh, get in touch with you. One question, actually a two-parter. How much input do the kids have in this? And Justin, is there any common thread you've heard from your clients' children? Yeah, so keep in mind, I I've, am a fund, I, I've been an amicus, which an amicus is basically an attorney that a court appoints when two parents and two attorneys are just going at each other's jugular and the court can't figure out or doesn't want to figure out or deal with these people all at one time. So the amicus is the one that goes out and is a friend of the court to tell the court what's really going on to, 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 for lack of a better word, cross-examine and pick on the party that's being the bad actor. And the reason I bring that up is because in every one of my over a hundred amicus cases, it used to be the favorite thing I do. I just don't have time anymore, but in every one of them, Every one of those kids, I, I would always ask them the first question. And I, because I, and I'd tell them my story. I was like, look, you know, I know you're 12, 13, 11 years old, and I'm this older attorney guy sitting here talking to you, but just understand I've lived in a very tough scenario. And let me tell you about my scenario. This is what I went through. And I just want to ask you, like, if you could wave a magic wand and you could get one thing in, in the world, what would that be? Do you know that almost 90% of those kids and they're bad? I mean, some of them are bad kids. They were screaming and breaking stuff in my lobby. They don't want to be here. They don't want to come back there. I was like, sit down. Here's how we're going to do it. 90% of those kids would cry and tear up and say, I just want my parents to get along. And I just want to be out of the middle of this. My kids so, said the same thing. My kids said the same thing. I just want you guys to get along. Oh, I just want you guys get back together. I mean, of course, they understand the situation. I just want you guys to get along. I want you to stop fighting. I want you to stop arguing. That's the biggest wish those kids have. My and I know, the, I know the response immediately from mama bear or papa bear is to say, okay, listen, you don't, you know, you don't really know what's going on here. You don't really understand what all is happening and I can't talk to you about it. And, you know, all the things that parents sometimes say. I, I tell people to say this, dad loves you and mom loves you. We may do it differently, but we're here to serve you and love you. You got to follow our rules, but we're going to love on you as much as possible to give you the best shot in life we can. Okay. You don't have to talk too much. I, I sometimes am guilty of talking too much, Patrice, but you don't have to. Right. And so in the kid's situation, when you're asking about getting a child involved and how much participation do a children have in decision-making, the short answer is in the state of Texas, in order to do a modification or in order to ask for conservatorship on a primary basis, one of the things that, and, and it's a newer provision whereby a child can be interviewed at the age of 12 or older. It used to be an affidavit, by the way. And the reason why I want to break this down for two seconds is the affidavit used to be the child would be brought into a law office. A lawyer would sit there and write out an affidavit about what the child's wishes are. And then have a child sign this with a notary. And that was the evidence that got you into court that allowed you to proceed forward with a custody case. Well, pretty soon, two things happened. One, it was a terrible deal. And I don't think that interviewing a 12-year-old is much better, by the way. But what was happening is lawyer A would go get the affidavit. Child would come to mom's house the next day. And then lawyer B would get a conflicting affidavit that says just the opposite. And that right there, in my opinion, should tell you that kids don't want to be in the middle. The fact that a child would sign both affidavits going both directions, it means, A, they can be manipulated easily. And we all know that children are easier to manipulate than older people are because they have less experience. So, And B, 
that that kid doesn't want to be there and sign an affidavit doing this. And for you parents out there that think your child wants to testify, my, the court wants, my child wants to have his voice heard or her voice heard. They may tell you that because that's, you're sitting there going, well, you're going to get to tell the court, you're 12 years old, you're going to get to tell the court and you can tell them, you know, you just make sure you tell them, you tell them, tell them, tell them. Let me tell you something, folks, that is the dumbest and worst thing you can do. When a child gets in a courtroom, the last thing a judge wants to do is get off the bench and go and talk to a kid, in my opinion, and some judges may differ with this, but I, I, I don't think that they love this concept. The only thing that the family code allows them to do, by the way, is state a preference. Okay. Where do you want to live? Well, guess what? That doesn't decide visitation and access. That doesn't decide, you know, the medical rights, all these things that people fight about. Now they can give directives to a court. I say directives. They can give input to a court on possession and access. I don't like this summer schedule because I've got cheerleading camp or whatever it is. But keep in mind, the courts want the parents in charge and the courts want the parents to be co-parents. And so they're not going to just say, hey, little Johnny, you know, you're 12 now. Let me just defer to you in all angles of this, all aspects. So the input of the child is important to get you to the arena. Okay. And obviously if they're 16, 17 years old, it's a little bit different. But as far as the case is concerned, I win cases all the time where a 12-year-old expresses a preference to go live with dad in Kentucky because dad's had him for the summer and bought him some new toys. I win it all the time, okay? Or vice versa, there's alienation going on. And, you know, it's best interest and, okay, and preference. And that's important because best interest is 90% of it. And, you know, in my opinion, they're supposed to be, you know, kind of joined together, but you be a judge. You can let a 12 year old run your roost. You, you know, you, they don't even know what their interest is at that. Yeah. I mean, what their best interest Come is. On. Again, you have one parent that has rules. The other one doesn't. Of course, you want to go with the one that doesn't have rules because I can be the whatever I can play all day. Daddy buys or mommy buys me PlayStation and I don't have to do any chores. Of course, I prefer that. But is that really good for me in the long run? Or is it better for me to learn what life is really all about? I don't see that as a 12 year old. We all didn't at that age. So I totally agree. The kids, yes, preference. If there's a bad situation, Justin has seen many, but otherwise both parents should be involved. There should be a visitation schedule. Both parents need to be involved in raising the kid. They both put them in this world. Both should raise them if they can, unless there's other circumstances. And so that's how it should be, not the kid's decision. All right. Well, Mary, why don't you take us home by telling us how people can reach you? This was a fantastic discussion. So if people want to get a hold of attorney Justin Sizemore, they can certainly call the office here at 817-336-4444 or check out the website at lawyerdfw.com. And we hope everybody has a great day and thanks so much for listening. And make sure that you follow this podcast so you know when a new show is ready for you. And of course, share with others the insight, maybe what they need. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to In Your Best Interest with Texas divorce attorney and entrepreneur, Justin Sizemore. The content presented here is provided for information only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or financial advice. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available.